We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in to this broadcast. Today we're talking about connection, and we live in a very connected society. We are connected at different levels, and many times social media connects us together. We know people's information, their occupation, even their destination, all with a click of a button, a like, or a scroll. We are a society that puts so much value on connection that we have tools like email and texting and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all of these things that have become the relational tools of our connection as a society, really just in the last decade. Imagine this, trying to maintain a relationship, whether it be work or personal, trying to maintain a relationship with our stay-at-home orders or with our work-from-home um, ideas or remote working contexts. Try to imagine maintaining any of these relationships without these connection tools. It would be very difficult. So today I want to talk about one tool, and that is the tool that we have to connect with God. It doesn't have anything to do with technology. There's not really anything high-tech about it. It's the connection tool of prayer. And I want to look at David in 2 Samuel 7 as we continue our series called The Best Stories Ever. And today's sermon is how to connect with God. So Jesus made an incredible promise in John 15, 7 about being connected. And it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. That is an incredible verse. That's like a blank check, like God is giving you unlimited credit, right? an unlimited bank account that you can draw off of. But I'm not so concerned about the last part that God's just going to do everything for me. I'm more concerned about the first part. The question that I have is, how am I to remain connected and joined with God? And how do we stay connected? And how do those words remain in us? Well, I want to read for you 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 18, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 29. It says this, Then King David went and sat in the Lord's presence. He asked, and I think that's important to note, he asked, Who am I, Lord God, and of what significance is my family that you have brought me this far? But even this was too small in your eyes, Lord God. Now you have also spoken about your servant's dynasty in the future and the generation to come. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, for the sake of your word and according to your own will, you have done this great thing so that your servant would know it. That is why you are so great, Lord God. No one can compare to you, no God except you, just as we have always heard with our own ears." And who can compare to your people, Israel? They are the one nation on earth that God redeemed as his own people, establishing his name by doing great and awesome things for them, by driving out nations and their gods before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You establish your people, Israel, as your own people forever. And you, Lord, became their God. Now, Lord God, confirm forever the promise you have made about your servant and his dynasty. Do just as you have promised so that your name will be great forever when people say, the Lord of the heavenly forces is Israel's God. May your servant David's household be established before you. 
because you, Lord of heavenly forces, Israel's God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a dynasty for him. That is why your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are truly God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. So now willingly bless your servant's dynasty so that it might continue forever before you, because you, Lord God, have promised. Let your servant's dynasty be blessed forever by your blessing. And this is the word of the Lord. I find that just an incredible verse about David just just giving praise to the Father. And I just find it incredible that we can walk through that scripture and find very important key ideas on how to connect with God. Now, all over the world, people want to get connected to God. And people do get connected to their God in many different ways. And when Amanda and I have been in different parts of the world, we've seen very different and sometimes strange and many times beautiful ways that people connect to the God that they're worshiping. People use rituals and all kinds of lights and incense and procedures and offering sacrifices of food and presents and money and different things to the idols or gods that they are worshiping. They chant. There's, there's sometimes bizarre physical ways that they get connected to God. Just locally, we can go up to Tigard and we can visit a Hindu temple where people uh, attempt to connect to their God. In Lake Oswego, there's a full-blown Cambodian uh, Buddhist temple where you can go visit and watch how people get connected to their God. If you've ever been to places like, like Europe, you'll find all kinds of different, sometimes strange, sometimes not so strange, and sometimes very beautiful ways of getting connected to God. Praying to dead people's feet and, feet and, and bodies is sometimes a little different, but people do all kinds of things to connect to their God. But the Bible teaches that there is a personal tool for connecting. It has nothing to do with a building. It has nothing to do with an object or something material. It has everything to do with the immaterial. It has everything to do with the supernatural. The Bible teaches that there's a personal tool for connecting to God, and prayer is that tool. So what's interesting when you talk about getting connected to God and you read this very verse in 2 Samuel, David's prayer, he was very connected to God. He was worshiping, connected, and had a personal relationship with the Creator. So I think that there demands something here when you read that verse is how do we get connected like David was connected? How do we grow spiritually into a great spiritual leader like David was a spiritual, great spiritual leader? How do we grow through prayer and be able to articulate our faith to God and for God as, as David did? Well, Jesus often explodes the common myths about prayer, and he made it very clear that it's not necessarily how you speak, and it's not necessarily the motions that you go through, that, that prayer was given to us to connect in a very intimate way, and it was a stress reliever and not a guilt producer. And we often think, because we don't say the right things or do the right things in our prayers, is that our prayer is some kind of duty that we feel guilty about, that we don't do enough of, or we should do it this way or not do it that way. And Jesus said that that's not what it's about. And so in Matthew 6, starting in verse 7, 
Jesus says, when you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them because your father knows that you need what your, your father knows already what you need before you ask. And so getting connected to God is not about words. It's not about how many words or how necessarily or how you use the words when you, when you pray. It's, it's not necessarily that, that difficult. Now, do I love listening and reading and hearing the prayers of the ancients? Absolutely. I think some of the most beautiful poetic writing is written in the form of prayer. But yet, I think that prayer is for everybody. And you might not think that you're cut out for that, or you might not think that you're that special, that you can write some poetic, incredible prayer for God. Maybe it's too complex for you, too difficult, and you didn't deserve, or you don't deserve whatever God is promising, promising everyone else, and He's not promising you because you feel spiritually inadequate. Well, I'm going to give you some very practical principles that I believe that will help you in your prayer life. It doesn't have to do with words. It has everything to do with being and not doing. And I think we need to learn how to be versus do first in our relationship with Jesus. So I believe that the first idea that is crucial for the beginning, and this is the foundational idea to prayer, and that is this, to be still. I think stillness is a very difficult task. It might be something that you think, I mean, that's impossible for me to do, is to be still. But Psalm 46, verse 10 says this, be still and know that I am God. So we hear that and we try to reflect, when was the last time I was still? Have you lived my life, Kevin? It's impossible for me to be still. The fast-paced, frantic lifestyle that... Maybe I live or you live to be still in that. It's, it gets to the point of, are you kidding me? That's impossible. But what the Bible says, what God says, it's the first foundational connection uh, idea that we need to implement in our life. In Psalm 131 verse 2, it says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child on its mother. So God is basically saying when you come to me in prayer, you're quieting yourself in the same peaceful sensation that a baby would have when they feel safe with mom. Well, I believe that the more that we train ourselves to spend time with God or in quietness with him alone, we will discover that that God is with us at all times, in all places. And it first starts with the to be still. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says Jesus often went to lonely places to pray. And so getting away from whatever context creates the, the, the uh, disruption or creates the anxiety or creates the, the hustle in your life, we have to remove ourselves from that and to get to a place that is quiet, that is of disconnection. And we have to have that on a daily basis. I don't think it's some event necessarily. I don't think it's, it can be an event, but I, I think that it needs, and especially in our 
maybe anxiety-producing lifestyle, our APLs, right? We need to have an MDR. So in our APLs, we need to have an MDR. In our anxiety-producing lifestyles, we need to have a minimum daily requirement of time that is alone and quiet. And I know you're laughing at me right now, Rob, because it's true. In our APLs, we need to have a little MDR. Just you and just God. You need to have some hours in your week that are devoted just to quietness and stillness. And maybe once a month, a half a day, or, a, or maybe a whole day, maybe you have a routine in your life that you could actually take one whole day a month to be quiet and to be still and to practice some sense of connection. Now, I can tell you if you're like me, and I know that I'm like a lot of people, is I work, 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 do, 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 run, 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 and then I just face plant into home base and barely touch, barely touch the bag of trying to get to that place of, of rest. And I find that sometimes rest is a hard task, yet there has to be moments in our life, in the middle of all that's going on, in the middle of the chaos, time to center Time to connect, time to be mindful, time to connect with God. And maybe you can utilize an, a mindfulness app or something that would help you to center yourself on a daily, rhythmic, daily, weekly, monthly routine that you can grow and to be uh, like more like David in 2 Samuel. So if you look at this prayer of David, you'll see that he is aware of what, is, what God is doing in his life. He has quieted his spirit enough to realize that God is God and, and David is David and, and he knows what God is doing in David's life. So one thing that I, I want to make sure that, that that foundation, at least I'm articulating that that foundation, we need to spend that quietness in God so that we are aware of what God is doing in our life. That quietness or spending time with with uh, that quiet time or that prayer life is not generating some kind of salvation experience. It's not generating grace in our life. It's, it's allowing the space to hear God and to see God work in our life. So we need to find ways to do that. We need to find ways to carve out and to, to push back, let's say, the chaos that is happening around us to be able to center ourselves and to find that lonely place to pray. So some of you are way into nature. You love nature. And when you're out in nature, you feel very close to God. And some Christians, they, they criticize that. I don't criticize that, being an old biology guy, right? So, so I look at nature as not an unusual place to find God. It is one of the most important places to find God. It's where we find majesty and beauty and all that God has created around us. And it, and it helps us to become aware of, look at all that God has done. And look at the creative being that God is. And he has created me amongst all of this creation. There's lessons to be learned. There's lessons to be learned just by looking and staring at water. At water. There is poetry about staring at water, the shape of water. There's art about the shape and how water flows. Somebody has sat and looked and stared and gazed into water to be able to write about the lessons learned about water. 
And so one of my favorite places to go is the beach. I don't like to get in the water. I'm a California boy. I was raised in Southern California. So when I think of beach, I think of sun. I think of sand. I think of body surfing. I think of surfing. I think about getting out there in the waves. When I get to the Oregon beach, I barely put my toes in because it is cold. But I like to observe the water. I love when the waves come and to watch the white cap just break. I love the lessons when I look at the ocean. I love the lessons because the ocean always teaches me something. It teaches me something about God. It's a quieting place for me. There's lessons to learn in nature if you want to be out there on a regular basis. Some of you have art and music and you love and you love to create art. You love to draw. You love to paint. You love to sculpt. You love to, to play music and, and to just listen to the ringing of music and the tone in your ear and to just use all of your senses to connect with God. You love to go to to music events like we used to, or festivals like we used to, or you love to, to go to art installations and studios and see the different ways that an artist has interpreted life and, and, and you take it in, the life and the color and the form and the shape. That is the way that God has made us in creative, creative ways, to be created and creative in our being. And so you need time. If that's you, you need time for that. You need the space for that, to gaze into an art piece and to allow it to teach you something. Some of you need to run. Some of you need to expend energy and ride your bike and, and get out and exercise. These are the things that God created us to do is to go out and to play. Some of you play really hard. I have a friend, loves used to, before COVID, loves to play basketball. Would play basketball every morning, purposefully play basketball every morning love to engage in that kind of fellowship and that kind of sport in that kind of activity it was an expression and is an expression of his physical life that that is where he connects with probably his body his physicality and also in that his created self with god and some of you have been made to create some of you have been made to build some of you have been made to make a craft on your own compose something write something ideas generate you journal you're stimulated by the meaning of life and how does it all fit and what it all does it all mean and you talk to other people and you discuss and you love those deep conversations of life and you're stimulated and that's what gives you energy and you thrive off of and that maybe that's that quiet place that you need maybe just connecting with your journal or some reading or writing that you're taking in the point is is that god has made us very unique in every way emotionally and mentally and physically and spiritually and we must put the quiet place bottom line to be still whatever it is the idea the nature the beach the music the arts the, the reading, the poetry, the silence, whatever it is, we need to find that stillness to be able to have the foundation to connect with God. But I can tell you this, is you can have that foundation of stillness, but if we are not sincere and honest with God and ourselves, to be authentic in those moments, to have a real conversation with God, we're really not going to grow spiritually. We have to learn to be genuine. I think David was a very good example of being genuine. He was an example of somebody that 
would stand out and yell at God. He would be angry at God. He would raise his hands in, in frustration and joy and worship and anger. He had a lot of emotions towards God and desperation and depression and all these things that you read about David going through, but he had an honest, genuine, authentic approach to those quiet spaces that he talked to God. And in Jeremiah 29, in verse 13, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You've got to be earnest with this, genuine, from the heart. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Beautiful. So in Jesus' day, there was a group of people that were very insincere in their prayers. They were the Pharisees that prayed three times a day, nine, noon, and three, and they prayed in public in spots that everyone could see how spiritual, pious, and righteous they were, right? But they were insincere. And in fact, they did it all for show, and it really... Um, upset Jesus of the day. And so Jesus didn't stand for that. He, he thought they were pompous and presumptuous, presumptuous, pretending to talk to God and to connect with God so that people could see their show. Same prayer, set time, same show, every day, time of day, cut and dry, no heart really at all. And Jesus made it very clear that these people weren't connecting with God. In fact, they were creating dissonance like it was a spectator sport, right? So, so he had a few things to say about that. In Matthew 6, when you pray, in verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you that's the only reward they'll get is just people's attention. Verse 6, but when you pray, Go to your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is present in the secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. So connecting with God is not this complex set of prayers that you need to, you need to say. It's pretty simple. Be still and be sincere. That's all that God asks for us. But then there's one more thing. We need to believe that God will answer our prayers. We need to approach that throne that God is going to have have an answer for our prayers. We need to put our faith in God's grace, and grace is the gift given to you that many times we don't deserve, but God comes in with his grace, that answer to our prayers, because it's what he wants for our life. He wants to be involved in our life, to connect with us in such a way. He says if we hold that word in our heart and connect and stay with him and that word stays in us, then he will give us what we need and want in our life. And he is holy and he's perfect and we're the exact opposite and he wants to be in our life because because he looks at our imperfection and he wants to be perfect for us through Jesus. So there's, there's, there's this way of connecting with God in such a way, in a simple way. And as we're light years apart sometimes that we feel between, between God and ourselves, Jesus is our mediator, the Spirit is our mediator, that if we need something, God wants to answer our prayers, yet we need to enter into that space that we believe that God can and will, and not necessarily like we earned it or we deserve it. No, just entering into that space in humble imperfection that God can be the perfect God in that moment for us. And so in 2 Samuel 7, verse 27, because you, Lord of heavenly forces, Israel's God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a dynasty for him. That is why your servant has found the courage to pray this, this prayer to you. Lord God, you are truly God. Your words are trustworthy and you have promised this good thing to your servant. So now willingly bless your servant's dynasty so it might continue forever before you. Because you, Lord God, have promised, 
Let your servant's dynasty be blessed forever by your blessing. Could you imagine going before God and praying a prayer like that? God, you have promised this and I come before you and I'm asking you to deliver on your promises. And I think that that approach to the throne of grace is with that kind of confidence to receive mercy and to receive his love in our time of need, that's, that's an incredible God confidence that we can learn to grow, to grow in. And I, I think that in Jesus' name, when we say in Jesus' name, amen, that is our claim to the promises of God. And David was that kind of prayer person, someone to model after, somebody that came before God and laid the foundation to be still and was humble and sincere and wanted God in his life and went before that throne and confidently asked because he knew that God would answer his prayers. And that's someone to model after, someone to grow with in our prayer life. David prayed, listened, waited, and believed the rewards from heaven, truly wanted to find him. And I love that story and I love this prayer. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. Let's take communion with that. That Jesus sat around the table and he said, do this in remembrance of me. That this is the bridge between you and God. That this is what you need. This is the gateway. This is me standing before you, sitting before you, reclining before you. And he says, this is my body given to you. This is going to be, this is going to be your gateway to heaven. My body that's given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is how you're going to live. This is the new covenant. This is the joy, the truth. As we're celebrating Christmas right now and, and, and that Jesus coming to this earth in bodily form, in human form, he says, I came and I lived this life with you to show you that I am fully God and I'm fully human. And I understand everything you're going through and I'm going to give you this new life in your current life. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you and give you a new promise, the new covenant that is within his blood. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we, we dip the bread in the juice or the wine, fruit of the vine. And thanks be to God. Father, thank you for prayer thank you for the opportunity that we have a tool of connection lord a gateway of connection that we can pray and have relationship with you in this way lord help us to find the space help us to find the time help us to find the heart and just the simple words to pray help us to go before you with the hopeful expectation that you will answer our prayers lord we love you we thank you for jesus Thank you for the gift of life that Jesus brings. In his name we pray, amen.